There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, March 27th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the state's coronavirus response team introduces more aggressive testing measures. Then a conversation with Congressman Michael Guest about the CARES Act and government's response to the pandemic. Plus, business closures leave thousands of Mississippi residents out of work and in need of help. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deaths from the coronavirus continue to rise in the state, with the Mississippi Department of Health reporting a total of six deaths and 485 cases. In response to the growing number of cases, Governor Tate Reeves, along with leadership of the state's coronavirus response team, hosted a press conference yesterday where they laid out a plan to take offense against the spread. To a certain extent, the uh, fact that we have um, not allowed for uh, groups of more than 10 uh, to gather, uh, the fact that we have done social distancing, that we have uh, ensured that the vast majority uh, of Mississippi public employees and private employees where possible uh, are working from home, uh, the fact that I have um, encouraged those who are feeling poorly that may have the, um, the virus to self-isolate uh, and to uh, get tested, um, I, we think long term will all make a difference. Certainly will make a difference in slowing uh, the spread of the virus. But to a certain extent, each of those measures, while necessary, were uh, cer- certainly partially uh, playing defense. Uh, Dr. Dobbs is going to come up today and, and outline a, a plan uh, that he and his team have implemented that I believe will allow us to shift from playing defense to playing offense. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says the team looked at the effective models of South Korea and Singapore and how elements of those responses could be implemented in Mississippi. There are a lot of elements of their plan that are easily translatable into the work that we can do. The first thing that we really want to look at doing more aggressively is basic case finding, isolation, and quarantine. 
that's a hugely labor-intensive endeavor to make sure that you find every case, that you make sure when you find a case, you are your eyes on them, making sure that you know who they are, where they are, and they're properly isolated, making sure they have the proper legal order to make sure they understand what their, what their requirements are, and then from that point, doing a grace, aggressive contact investigation so that we then identify that second tier of individuals who are likely to be the next generation of infection. Uh, the second thing we want to do is really work for more aggressive outbreak investigations. If you look at what drives a lot of the disease transmission, especially within the populations that are most vulnerable, it's going to be when disease gets into a nursing home. Or maybe you have a disease transmission within a funeral where there's a lot of older folks who are, who are susceptible. Dr. Dobbs also indicates a robust community outbreak response is necessary in this new aggressive approach. Part of that effort will be a one-day drive-through test collection at the Cahoma Expo Center in Clarksdale and at Lewisburg High School in Olive Branch. It's going to be a drive-through clinic so that anybody who needs to get tested in one of these areas where they don't currently have a drive-through clinic can come through, get tested, and then we'll follow up with them to make sure that if they need to be isolated, they can be, or if they're not, we'll give them reassurance that they don't have COVID-19. And from here, we will take the lessons learned, the success from these operations, to then springboard into more aggressive actions as this epidemic evolves. We are um, well over 400 cases. We had 108 new cases yesterday. We expect to see more and more cases as the next week or so evolve. We have six deaths now. We will see more deaths. This is time to be aggressive. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we finally have the resources and sort of the manpower plan to make something happen. It's still going to be a rough road, but now's the time to act. Dr. Thomas Dobbs is the state health officer of Mississippi. Only those screened using the Ceasefire Health UMMC virtual COVID-19 triage app or by phone screening are eligible for the drive through testing. As case and death numbers continue to rise, Governor Reeves is drawing national and local criticism for an executive order considered less restrictive than what some cities in the state have in place to combat the coronavirus. It prevents more than 10 people from gathering. There's no dining in restaurants unless there's social distancing, and it lists most businesses as essential. Clarksdale Mayor Chuck Espy has already seen one death in his city with another under investigation. He tells our Desiree Frazier he believes the governor's order is comparable to his direction and he will do what's needed at the local level to keep his city safe. I really feel that the governor's executive order um, is running a parallel track with the city of Clarksdale heading in the same direction. The governor has every right to issue his order, but under the same authority as the mayor of the city of Clarksdale, I'm going to do everything in my power um, to put public safety first. And um, I don't believe those orders are conflicting. Um, I just think that the governor is just simply, you know, assessing from his statewide view. But individually, um, the city of Clarksdale is different than, you know, Tupelo or Bay St. Louis or Hattiesburg or South Haven, and we're going to all have to make our assessments differently, which we may be on the same path going in the same direction, but different orders for different cities. As a result of these deaths, will you do anything, will you have one death and one potential, will you be doing anything different than what you've been doing? 
Right. We're making those assessments, and, and what we're doing is attempting to curve, even curve the, um, the trend line that is happening for in Cahoma County. You know, we went from yesterday from having 11 cases to 17, and now potentially an additional death. So we, we're needing to step up even further our efforts. Um, to practice the social distancing and a stay-at-home order um, is in place and only coming out for those necessary items like, you know, food, gasoline, prescription drugs. And so we're really wanting to raise the awareness um, as much as possible to ask people to stay at home and don't violate um, the city's order. Chuck Espy is the mayor of Clarksdale. Coming up, a conversation with Congressman Michael Guest about the CARES Act and government's response to the pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A $2 trillion coronavirus response bill intended to accelerate economic relief in America is now waiting on a vote in the House of Representatives. The Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARE Act, which passed the Senate Wednesday evening, has provisions to inject an estimated $300 billion into the hands of Americans and another $10 billion for small business loans. The House is expected to take action on the bill as early as today. Third District Representative Michael Guest, a Republican from Brandon, discusses the bill and the government's continued response to the pandemic with our Michael Guidry. Uh, you know, uh, the, the thing that uh, I'm encouraged by is, uh, you know, that this act uh, would uh, stimulate uh, the economy uh, because of uh, the outbreak of COVID-19. Uh, we have seen it uh, across uh, the entire economy uh, a slowdown, and so uh, there would be an infusion of capital into the economy uh, through uh, the tax rebate checks uh, that Americans will get. And so, you know, that money will very quickly make its way back into the economy. Uh, it will help small businesses that will, are struggling, uh, and also really like the small business loans uh, that are going to be 100% guaranteed by the FDA. Uh, also, uh, you know, we're, we're glad to see in there things such as additional funds for hospitals, $100 billion uh, in additional grants uh, to hospital. There's money in there for our first responders. Uh, so there are things in there uh, that very excited about uh, and, and things uh, in there that uh, we're concerned about. Uh, there was uh, $25 million uh, for uh, the Kennedy Center, uh, $75 million to the National Endowment of the Arts, uh, $75 million for the National Endowment of the Humanities. So there were uh, nine uh, coronavirus-related items. You mentioned the Kennedy Center. The president himself came out in support of that inclusion uh, due to the fact that it, it, it is, you know, it, it's a D.C. institution. And it is struggling because people cannot go out. And uh, the endowments for the arts and humanities, um, those, those help people as well. So what particular do you take issue with those? I mean, because it could be that, I mean, people rely on those endowments for the same reason small businesses rely on small business loans. 
Well, you know, I, I think if you look at just those three items combined right there, that's $175 million. And so I think that that money should be better served by giving that money directly back uh, to people. Uh, that money could be put back into our health care system. That money could be given to first responders. And so uh, I believe uh, that those particular items uh, in this bill, uh, that money could have been better spent somewhere else. In regards to the act, it passed the Senate on Wednesday. How soon can the House act on this? You're, you're scattered about. Um, you have two confirmed cases of COVID-19 within the body of the House, and there's concerns about travel. Is the support and urgency at a level to be able to get this done through unanimous consent, or will it take a floor vote that is kind of an all-day affair to make sure people aren't congregating and, and, and people are abiding by social distancing guidelines? You know, on the conference call that we had today, uh, the House will take up the legislation that will be an hour discussion uh, for each side uh, for uh, debate, uh, and then there will be a voice vote. Um, uh, if there has been no call for a recorded vote, uh, then the, the bill would be passed upon uh, whether or not that there were more people uh, voting by voice, either in favor or opposition. Uh, I do believe that the, the bill will pass the House. I believe it will receive widespread support. Uh, if any single member uh, were to ask for a recorded vote, uh, then that would require uh, all members of Congress uh, then to uh, return to Washington, D.C. Uh, and cast their vote um, uh, on the House floor electronically, either in favor or, either in favor or in opposition to the vote. So uh, at this time, uh, there is optimism uh, that uh, the bill may pass the House uh, by strictly by voice vote sometime tomorrow. Uh, but again, it takes only one single member of either party who could object to that, uh, which would then require all members to return to Congress uh, and cast the recorded vote. Through the daily White House press briefings, we've we've heard a lot about the 15 days to slow the spread. This week, the president says he wants to open the country up by Easter, despite the fact that there really isn't any present data that indicates that it would be safe from a public health standpoint to do so. In times of crisis, a president is and should be a voice of hope. There's no doubting that. But is there a line between steadfast hope and reckless optimism? And if so, where is that line? Well, you know, I, I think we're all uh, optimistic and hopeful that uh, this crisis will pass as soon as possible, that people will be able to return to their daily lives. Uh, I believe that we're going to have to wait till we get closer uh, to those deadlines, and we're going to have to see uh, where we are uh, as far as uh, have we reached the peak and are we flattening out? Uh, are we seeing the number of cases continue to grow? Uh, and so I think at this point it's a little too early to make the call as to when we will be able to return to normal life. And, and it may also depend on what area of the country that you're in. Uh, and so uh, I believe that, that that's just something that we're going to have to look at the data as we get closer to that deadline. You represent a, a very diverse district, uh, any way you really want to slice it, whether it be racially, socioeconomically, educationally. What are you hearing from your constituents about both the, the federal response to this, the White House and the, the Trump administration's response to this, and the state response to this pandemic? We're doing our best to make sure uh, that we are plugged in with what is happening, particularly on the ground here in Mississippi. Uh, one particular need uh, that we identified uh, early this week was the fact that many of our sp first responders were not getting good information uh, once uh, an individual had been diagnosed with COVID-19. Uh, those addresses were not uh, being relayed to uh, your emergency medical personnel. And so we've been able to kind of work through that. Uh, we've also been on the phone 
uh, numerous times with FEMA uh, to try to make sure that Mississippi is receiving as many uh, of the PPEs, your personal protection equipment, as necessary. Uh, again, for first responders, uh, for doctors, for nurses, those people who are coming into contact on a daily basis with individuals who have been diagnosed uh, with the coronavirus. Uh, I will tell you that I think uh, uh, our governor, Tate Reeves, I think Dr. Dobbs, our state epidemiologist, uh, they are doing a very good job of keeping the public informed. Uh, I think that they are doing a good job of evaluating the situation. Uh, and so uh, I will tell you at this point, I, I'm very uh, proud of the cooperation between the state, the federal, and the local delegations. Uh, and I think that, that Mississippi uh, is continuing uh, to manage this crisis as well as any state could. You get a, a, a national perspective. Where are we on, on the brink of needing to enact stricter stay-at-home measures? You know, I, I tell you the thing that uh, we need to make sure that we are monitoring very closely uh, is uh, the number of reported cases in New Orleans. Uh, we are beginning to see New Orleans become the fastest growing area, not only in our country, uh, but really uh, worldwide in the number of more uh, new coronavirus cases. And so I think that is something that we're going to have to watch very closely uh, with Mississippi, particularly Mississippi Gulf Coast, being in such close proximity to New Orleans. Uh, that is something uh, uh, that our state leaders are going to have to make sure we are monitoring and so I can't tell you exactly where that line is. I will tell you that uh, our state officials are monitoring that. Uh, there is a continued contact back and forth uh, with federal officials, uh, and, and these decisions are being reevaluated each and every day. And in 2019, a fellow freshman representative, uh, Democrat Katie Hill from California, resigned over ethics concerns related to an alleged inappropriate relationship with a staff member. Well, last week, it was reported that some questionably ethical stock market trading was conducted by members of the Senate after they were briefed on potential severity of the, the, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, the two most ho- high profile of those were Republicans Richard Burr and Kelly Loeffler. Setting aside any legal questions about their actions, what is the ethical threshold for a member of Congress? Yeah, the, the, the ethical threshold as, as far as stock trading is not to use information that you attained in your official capacity to then influence uh, your decision to buy or sell stock. And and I do feel confident that uh, once we are past uh, the immediate crisis as it relates uh, to COVID-19, that the Senate, uh, through their ethics committee, uh, will uh, look into these allegations uh, and then will make determinations and decisions on what actions, if any, need to be taken. And if there are any allegations of anyone in the House who has made similar uh, trades uh, because of information that they've received, uh, then, then you will see these matters investigated and looked into at that time. Congressman Michael Guest, representative from Mississippi's 3rd District. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Coming up, business closures leave thousands of Mississippi residents out of work and in need of help. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Mississippi is expected to lose more than 100,000 jobs in the next few months due to concerns over the coronavirus. That's according to an economic policy group. Restaurants and other businesses have closed their doors or limited services. As MPB's Ashley Norwood reports, the closure now leaves thousands of residents out of work and in need of financial assistance. Thousands more Mississippians are dialing into the State Department of Employment Security's call center to file an unemployment claim, but they can't get through. Your call did not go through. Please try your call again. Jackie Turner is executive director. She says where they normally would field 600 calls a day, now they are seeing 10 times that number. We're experiencing unprecedented call volume. There are only so many phone lines that come into call centers. And yes, people are calling and getting a busy signal or a message saying we can't take your phone call right now. We know that. The reason is because there are only so many phone lines to go through. Applications for unemployment benefits submitted in Mississippi rose to just over 6,700 last week according to the U.S. Employment and Training Administration. That's an increase of 486 percent from the number of applications submitted the previous week. Turner says they're experiencing a surge in applications because requirements for unemployment compensation have recently been modified to help workers who aren't able to work due to COVID-19 concerns. Rules will now allow workers who are or have been quarantined, laid off, or sent home without pay to file for benefits. New rules also make eligible persons diagnosed with the disease and those caring for someone who's been diagnosed. Turner says there are two primary ways to file, on their website or by calling their toll-free number. Just know that Employment Security staff are here working around the clock, and we are committed to getting unemployment insurance benefits for those who qualify. But how prepared is Mississippi for a flood of unemployed workers? Fewer than 10 percent of unemployed workers received benefits as of fall 2019, according to a recent report from the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. They classify the state's unemployment system as barely functioning. Republican Governor Tate Reeves signed an executive order instructing the Department of Employment Security to expedite payments to unemployed workers and relax collection requirements on employers. This is a situation and a crisis that has to be locally implemented, state managed, and federally supported. And so when you look at the unemployment side of things, we're going to do everything we can to lessen the burden on Mississippians. If a person filing for unemployment meets all the eligibility requirements, the first week serves as a waiting period in which the recipient will not get a check. The governor's recent signed order will eliminate that waiting period for all claims filed from March 8th to June 27th. He also suspended work search requirements that applicants must normally meet to receive benefits. Turner with the Department of Employment Security says these changes are critical. Typically when you're filing for unemployment insurance and you qualify, you have to continue to look for a job to stay on unemployment. And in this case, because of the coronavirus, people are not able to do their work searches. So we have suspended those two rules immediately. Ryan Reynolds is general manager of Interlock Escape Room in Ridgeland. He says in this time of uncertainty, it's difficult to explain to his 12 employees when they'll ever get another check. The business is closed for bookings indefinitely. Even though they are still considered employees, no one is getting hours for the foreseeable future. Trying to figure out if we are able to, instead of 
filing unemployment for myself or any of the other employees. If we need to go through the process of letting everybody go and then them coming back later. About 34,000 people work direct hotel operation jobs in Mississippi. Almost 50 percent of those employees are projected to lose their jobs in the coming weeks. That's according to data compiled by the American Hotel and Lodging Association. Chip Rogers is president and CEO. There are no rooms to clean because nobody's staying in those rooms. There's no people to manage, so you don't necessarily have management. There's no food to prepare, so you don't have people working in the kitchen. There are virtually no guests, so you don't need security personnel. So really across the board, just about everybody has been furloughed or in some cases sadly lost their jobs. Jackie Turner with the Department of Employment Security says before the coronavirus outbreak, Mississippi's unemployment rate was lower than it had been in a very long time at about 5.5 percent. And according to experts, it may take a while to get things back on track. Ashley Norwood, MPB News. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.